celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Tall Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. Rachel Mang Brown is the CEO and founder of Gen Agency, awarded New York 20 in their 20s in entrepreneurship and sports. Rachel is a former Big Ten student athlete, model, official TikTok partner, She's partnered with brands like Netflix, TurboTax, Amazon, and Meta, and worked in the front offices of the New York Mets, Rutgers Football, Main Events, previously HBO Boxing, PGA Tour, and USA Rowing, Team USA. She manages influencers and athletes with a reach of over 66 million followers. Through the negotiation of brand deals, producing viral events and experiences, and educating student athletes and athletic departments. She also consults businesses and startups and social media partnerships and strategy. And to add to it this year, there's a documentary coming out, which we're going to hear about too. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome you, Rachel, to Tall Poppy Talk. Where are you and how are you today? <laughs> yeah, it sounds, it sounds smaller when I write it down, but a lot more when you say it out loud. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm currently in Los Angeles, California. And what's today look like for you? Oof. Um, <laughs> well, luckily enough, I've got this, I've got a few more meetings. Um, I'll be working on, uh, some programming for our NIL athlete program. Um, but yesterday I was on set with one of our trick shotters doing, uh, a TV show. It's RTL. It's like the CBS of Germany. Um, we were kind of talking to him about like his journey, doing some trick shots, trying out some trick shots. Uh, so it was very interesting. There's always something new every day. I bet. And that's what I want to just jump straight into is you founded and you stand as the CEO of Gen Agency. It's an influencer marketing agency specializing in influencer and brand campaigns. You have event and media production and now the NIL education and consulting. And I saw that you say the goal is to democratize the creator economy by protecting our creators, providing on-time payments and opportunities for networking and growth and industry education. So it sounds like you're really getting personal with the creators too like it's the whole scope so could you just explain to me what led to the inception and eventual creation of gen agency and maybe some like obstacles and enablers you encountered along the way yeah yeah so it's funny i actually had worked with influencers and athletes previous to founding the company you know like you said i was with the pga tour i was with us rowing i was with new york mets um but from there really my goal has always been to build a company that would help democratize uh, sports and media for the players. So it, it was really pre-COVID um, that I started this idea. And then during COVID, actually, that's when the company started, but really social media marketing kind of like popped off, right? It was uh, because of lockdown that people were on their phones, they were stuck on their computers, they were watching Netflix, like they were just doing everything to grow this social media space and they were buying things off the internet. So that's really where social media marketing, geofencing, all that really came into play and kind of built up the social media market as it is now. Um, all this really led to like the inception of the company um, and the rise of social media marketing. And that's something that myself and my former co-founders like really recognized that this was going to be the next um, era of business. This was going to be the thing that like people were talking about and doing. So 
I ended up working with different companies um, to work with their marketing, their personal branding. And then eventually TikTok hired me as an official partner. Um, I helped transition the platform as a creator from like the dancing, the singing, just like all the fun stuff into like the DIY, the education, um, more of those videos that you see now. And then eventually, you know, I started managing creators on my own. And then that led to me teaming up with other influencers, other um like people in this space to start the agency back in 2021. And then nowadays, um, most recently, I absorbed the shares from my last co-founder. Uh, so now I'm the sole owner of the agency itself. Wow. How was that transition? Do you enjoy having the sole power <laughs> of the agency? I know it sounds like, ah. <laughs> um, you know, I do. I think that, you know, through that whole journey, I, this was always like my goal. This was always um, my dream. And I think that because it aligns so much with what I wanted to do uh, for the economy and for my future, I think that I always had a really, you know, strong uh, passion and like heavy hands <laughs> in the background. Um, I've always been more of like the front facing and like handling a lot of the operations. So it wasn't a hard transition, but I think that um, what it has done is like not only confidence, but it has allowed me to really be able to explore the things that like I'm passionate about and spend more time with the creators talking about the issues that they have and trying to find a way to resolve them. And that leads right into what I wanted to discuss next was recently NIL in general in the US has become like a huge hot topic mm -hmm. and laws and practices are changing and people can't really keep up. So I know you've recently launched the NIL education and consulting program. It's where you're actively speaking and signing to schools and collectives like as that program. Was your experience as a student athlete like influential over your career journey and wanting to go into this NIL? Oh, 100%. Um, so like I mentioned, I, uh, I was a student athlete in college and I always kind of wanted to do what I'm doing now. Um, you know, I went to Rutgers University. I was on the women's rowing team. I was a coxswain. Um, and I had such a great time. And like, I have such fond memories of Rutgers and being a student athlete. And I think, think that I remember uh, all those struggles and the things that I faced while I was there, whether it was just like adversity with people or adversity um, being an athlete and like having that time commitment. And I think that um, one of the things that I noticed too was that student athletes, like we literally have like what, 12 practices a week. Um, and then on top of that, we have school and myself, like I was in SAC, I was in unified sports. I was in student government. I had internships. Like I had a hundred other things going on too. And it was, I think um, that's where I learned like how to build my personal brand and how to leverage it and get these opportunities, whether it was internships or whether it was like volunteering, whatever it might be. And now these student athletes like had the opportunity to make money, uh, something that we could couldn't do back when we were student athletes. And I think that's uh, a big part of how I look at it, not only with my background of being like an influencer manager and being a creator, but like these student athletes have an opportunity to change, you know, their financial situation in college and even after college, maybe. And some of those athletes are paying for mortgages for their parents back home or helping them pay for food and groceries. And like, there are so many other things that this NIL space can help do. And I think that um, how I look at it is that, you know, these athletes have always been influencers and they just now don't have the tools to really, really leverage it and capitalize like, you know, traditional influencers have. So that's what we really want to do is package up like this influencer life, influencer 101 and give it in a understandable 
way to these student athletes and to this university to be able to understand like how they can actually leverage it um, and really get into the NIL space. I think that's so important because having been a student athlete as well, it's quite scary. Like there's so many rules about what you can and can't do. And for a lot of people who want to get into the space, probably the main obstacle is just not knowing like a lack of knowledge and education. Mm -hmm. So that excites me. And it's something that I wish we'd had. I I was phasing out. Exactly. I like look back at Rutgers and like, darn, like if I had had that, you know how good, like I would have been everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also so good for the, like the colleges themselves, right? Because Mm -hmm. each player in whatever respective sport is being able to actually promote themselves, which inherently promotes the team, Mm -hmm. which is the school. So it's, um, I'm really excited to see what happens with it in the next even two to three years I think it's going to explode oh yeah so so happy to see how involved you're getting with it because a lot of people are scared and don't don't want to get involved so I think your experience has just lined you up to really be an asset there and it's funny you talk about how when you were in college and now like literally a million things going on at all times like yesterday you're at a shoot today you're doing this like what is I call it like a key tip or strategy. And I know that that's like maybe hard to narrow down, but what is like a strategy you employ to stay on top of your game from a mental health and well-being perspective? I think um, understanding your limits. Like I, <laughs> I've always been like a competitive athlete, you know, like I played every sport uh, growing up. And then even so, like I was a competitive figure skater for like 12 years. Um, I was a violinist. <laughs> I played field hockey. I did uh, track. Obviously, I did rowing. And like um, between the top three of my sports and music, I was looking into going to college with them and I ended up with rowing. So like (laughs) that's like the level of competition um, I've always been. But I think college and post-college humbled me a lot. So I think my strategy you know, is to always have time management and to always, uh, you know, work hard and uh, be on top of my game. But I think like that humbling of me and like my workload and time management, everything came like college and post-college. Like I said, it, I, you know, during college time management with rowing, um, there was a lot of like obstacles and things going on, you know, there was being on the team. And like, I had personally during college, Um, some struggles like wisdom teammates and like being accepted and even more so you know then I was also on student government I was also uh, with classes I ended up changing my major I think that all that humbled me and then even after college funny enough um, with this agency back in 2021 we had a eight-day 11 creator hype house uh, in Texas around FinCon, which is a financial conference, public.com sponsored it. And it was so much fun, but it was so crazy. And it was such an experience. Um, You know, it was so much logistics going into flying 11 creators out to Texas, getting them all in the house, um, you know, having this brand that we needed to fill all those expectations, create all that content. We had Wall Street Bets there. We did a panel. We filmed a podcast. We constantly had the creators around. And also remind you, this was during COVID. So we were constantly COVID testing on site, um, the creators, the brands, the guests. And then on top of it, we were filming a documentary, um, which again is coming out in hopefully sometime this year in 2023. It's on IMDb. So feel free to take a look. Um But like we had so much going on uh, and it went really, really well, but like it was so much stress on me 
um, that I literally worked myself into the hospital. Like I ended up, uh, yeah, like in the hospital, um, in the ER, just because uh, I worked myself to death. Like I had an infection that like blew up my face completely. I literally looked like I got kicked by an elephant. Uh, it's on my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was just so stressful that I think I learned how to, uh, or well, it humbled me. And I think I learned that one of the strategies of being uh, a high level competitor and being at this level of like constantly working, constantly busy is like understanding your limits, um, and understanding like yourself and understanding, you know, you can't compete at this level or work at this level without like taking care of yourself. Um, so I think that's for me, like a new quote unquote strategy that I've been employing. Um, but it's definitely something that I would suggest to anyone that gets up to like a high workload or is taking on a lot of things is like understanding your mental health, understanding your physical health and being able to work within the constraints that you set on yourself. Um, it's like an interesting strategy that like when you think of it, because you would think it's like, oh, like work really hard and like do all this stuff, max yourself out. But I think, you know, if you love what you do, then you would do it forever. Like I would, but like understanding like where your constraints are, I think that's the best advice on uh successful uh, growth and strategy that I have. That is insane because you, you physically had to reach your limit. So the way I'm interpreting yeah. that is like, you have to know your limits before you get there because it's all well pushing to the grindstone. But in that situation, like you physically couldn't go. Yeah. I literally like I was going under anesthesia and they took my phone from me because I was on the phone with my co-founder, um, telling him like, no, no, no. Like you have to, like, you have to make sure this happens. Like, I'm just, I'm going to be gone for a couple hours. I will be right back. And he's like, oh my gosh, aren't you like getting surgery? I was like, yes, but it's like, it's fine. Like it was, <laughs> I love what I do. So like, that is just like how passionate I am about what we do, but like, it was to that point. Um, and now like my days look different, right? Like I, uh, I work nine to five EST, but then I also have extended hours because I'm PST um, and I work a lot, but like, I understand, you know, there's a limit, like take your weekends off. Um, and, you know, I'm always like, I'm at an event, like maybe three times a week, whether it's like on site or it's at, um, we got to do an Emmys event. Like we get to host events here, like celebrity basketball games. Like I'm constantly doing things, but it's like understanding that you have a limit um, and taking that time when you need it, that like allows me to continue on. <laughs> That's such a fine line though, because, mm -hmm. because you're so passionate about what you do and you enjoy it so much, especially events and things like that. Like I'm listening, trying to think, where would you draw the line? Is this a personal <laughs> experience or when you're building a personal brand, everything's always an opportunity. How do you switch mm -hmm. that off? Do you switch that off? Uh, I, <laughs> some of my closest friends are like always laughing. Cause like, we'll be, um, like my friends actually came in one of my, two of my former, uh, Mets colleagues. And then my other friend, she's actually, um, Miss earth. She's from Belize. Um, they actually just transferred over the title to this year's winner. Um, and we're very close and she came to visit me and it's funny enough, like we had gone out, um, in Los Angeles, like showing them the city and, it was like everywhere we went, like this, someone would tell me something, oh, like I do this. And then it like turns into a networking opportunity. Oh, here's my LinkedIn. Like, let's connect this week. So <laughs> I think uh, to be successful, it doesn't really turn off. I think just, you know, understanding your limits of like, I think this is when I want to go to sleep. And you know what? It's getting really, really late. It, like there's no moonlight out right now. I think I need to stop working. Um, I think that's like where I've kind of understood my limits is like, even like tempering my own ambition uh, <laughs> to be able to take care of myself. Oh no, I love to hear that because that's what's difficult, right? Is 
and maybe the, the like social dialogue is shifting away from you need a strong work-life balance like no there's a whole like influencer as a job as a career is so legitimate yeah. that it is so integrated so I really enjoy that and thank you for saying like no it doesn't necessarily switch off but I know my limits and I have boundaries on things yeah. because yeah it wouldn't be truthful to say, yeah, I switch it off because yeah. that's You're not- always like thinking. And if you love it, like it doesn't feel like a job. Um, and I think that's even like a common misconception with influencers is that like, oh, it's so much fun. And like, it's so easy. Like, no, like even the creator house that we were at yesterday, like they're constantly working, constantly talking, constantly think of new ideas. Those trick shotters were literally building trick shots for new content that week, working on them, practicing them. So it's you know, if you love it, it doesn't feel like a job, but it is still a job. So it's definitely something you have to be cognizant of. Wow. Um, okay. And now I want to take a moment to explain, because I don't think it's as prominent in America, which is part of why I started the podcast is there's this social phenomenon concept called tall poppy syndrome. And it's really prominent in New Zealand, Australia, England. And essentially mm-hmm. it is everywhere. It's like those people, the poppies that grow above the rest we like chop them down. It's like, oh, we want to see you do well, but there's there's a limit, like let's not go above. Mm-hmm. And so when I've seen it in the US, it manifests slightly differently. Like people from my experiences with sports encourage others to be like, yeah, go, go. Wait, okay, maybe not go so much. Like I, I still mm-hmm. want to, you know, be successful too. So this is this concept, tall poppy syndrome. And I was just wondering as a very successful person, have you ever felt that people have wanted to cut you down because of your ambition and success? And how did you respond to it? Yeah, I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I think it is a thing. And, you know, I have a lot of personal experiences, uh, starting off, like, especially when I was in college, I, like I mentioned, I had some difficulties with teammates. Um, I think that what I did in college being like a high achiever and like finding some success at what I did, I've always had to deal with people either whether it's, you know, like to your point, uh, jealousy, I I think jealousy does actually take a lot of um, a lot of the stock on why people do the things they do to kind of cut you down. And I think that other people, sometimes it's doubts, like they may have doubts about what their abilities are, and they don't uh, maybe want to see like you doing what they've doubted that they could do. So sometimes they push that doubt and those issues like on someone else. And I think that that's something that I had to learn. Um, and it was really prominent, prominent to me in college, uh, that other people like had these problems and that they will push them on you. And I think that, um, now that I know that I have a much better understanding of when people put their doubts on you or when they try to like limit your success, even in the words that they say, um, even like talking behind your back, that's something I dealt with when I was at the Mets surprising, like we're all grown adults and like, you know, everybody's gossipy. And I think that that's kind of where a lot of gossip stems from. Um, but it's something that you deal with every day. And even like being an owner now being, um, in this space, like being someone who like, we really pride ourselves ourselves on being like on the forefront of, Hey, like NIL, we built this program actually over like a year ago before NIL was even passed. We already had this program built. So like, we already knew this was coming. We've got our influencer and residence program that, um, basically we use like smaller creators, UGC creators and have them hired as part-time consultants to agencies where like this person can manage your social media. They can create content on your social media. They can consult with you. Reason being is that like a lot of the influencers don't have stable income and this creates stability for them. It creates stability for 
um, the brand. And that's like two things that people were very much like, oh, like, I don't really see the point of that. Or like, oh, well, people won't go for it. But like, both programs are up and running, working, and like, we're continuing to build them out. Um, so it's something that like, we still deal with today. And I think that me personally, um, you know, you always care about what people think, but I think you should always care about what people think to an extent, like how it affects you. Um, and I think that a lot of people, it sounds crazy, but they'll say like, oh, like you're so fearless in this. It's like, no, I just, I believe in what we do and I believe in myself now. And like that confidence has grown with time and I'll continue to do what I believe in and what I think is right. And what I think will help our influencers, our athletes, our brand and company like itself and to me it doesn't really matter what these other people think because I'm still going to continue doing it because it's still working um and like I will keep doing the same thing until it doesn't work so I think um nowadays like after everything I've been through I have a very different outlook of what that looks like thank you I I just want to let that like marinate for a second because <laughs> I I can tell from even like you say that in such a short succinct amount of words right but from college to post-college to this like mm -hmm. that has taken time and you said that it you have to build a confidence and a self-assuredness of I'm doing what I want to do and have like caring what other people think to an extent but caring more about what you think and where mm -hmm. you're motivated I love that and I know for a lot of people who listen it's like okay yeah these people have persevered but maybe I don't feel like I can do that or I don't feel confident. So that message is like, it takes time and it takes almost externalizing. Like, why is someone giving me that comment? Why are they saying it? Like not taking it personally and thinking, actually, maybe mm -hmm. it's just jealousy or they wish they were doing it. I mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Wow. Um, <laughs> And then this is, okay. I'm almost was like, oh, I don't, I don't know how to, broach it right but I'm really interested too is like there's a distinction between jealousy just because of what someone's achieving and then mm -hmm. also maybe we're actually going into territory of like uh there's some discrimination or there's mm -hmm. doubts because of age ethnicity like sexism whatever it is and for you it's like interse it's intersectional discrimination right mm -hmm. you're a person of color a female and a young person how do you overcome this concept of, for those who might not know, intersectional discrimination is essentially the experience of someone who identifies within multiple minorities. So it's results in this of, hey, there's actually no protection because I'm experiencing ageism and sexism and mm -hmm. racism. And it's quite a heavy, <laughs> it's a heavy topic, but it's one that I think yeah. isn't necessarily broached. And you're obviously very like, outgoing and bubbly and I don't want to like bring the tone down a little bit but it was something that we really wanted to ask you about was how, what has been your experience as a young person of color a woman does it ever get easier or have you even felt like you've experienced unique discrimination in that way yeah oh 100 um <laughs> you know being like you said a young individual um a Asian woman of color and also just a woman in general. I think like having the unique experience of having um, three different sets of, you know, intersectional diversity, I think it gives me a unique outlook, um, especially being in an industry that kind of 
pits against like what I have against what maybe the traditional person in that industry might be. Um, it is something that I deal with daily, you know, being the only female, maybe in a conversation uh, with a company or being the only uh, or the youngest person in that conversation, and maybe even being the only person of color. So being sometimes all three of those, it's a really unique situation that I find myself in. Um, and even during COVID, you know, China virus became such a hot topic and such a huge discrimination um, event. And not that this country, you know, doesn't already have a lot of discrimination to it. Uh, but like China virus, you know, I was walking on the street and I'd been followed. I'd like been screamed after. And it was things that you like, you would never guess because I'm actually Korean and Filipina. So it's not even the same ethnicity, uh, not the same race, but it's something I had to deal with. And I think that it grew me up a lot, understanding that these are issues um, that people face, you know, not only my ethnicity, but other ethnicities and race. And I think that as it goes into a professional level, um, I don't have any, you know, I don't, I don't think it leaks into any lesser version of myself or negative thoughts on myself. And I think that's purely because of like the confidence that I have again, that like it's taken a long amount of time, but I think for me, I very much look at it as, you know, I'm in this room being the youngest, being the only female, being the only person of color, or maybe all three because of the body of work that we have, like the level of success that we've had and like what we're doing, it's impactful and like we need to be there. So I think I deal with those things every day, but the way that I try to get around it is looking at it from the other side of like, you know, you deserve to be here because of what you've done against all those odds. Um, and it's something that again, like comes with time. And even the other day I was interviewing someone and, um, for a position. And they, you know, I always tell at the end of my interviews, especially for like students or undergrads, recent grads, I tell them like, you know, I was in your position very, very much not long ago. Um, and I am always happy to help connect the dots. I'm always happy to introduce you to someone. Um, I'm always happy to be like a point of contact that you can ask these hard questions to. And this individual, he was a young Asian American and he like finally got to the end and said, you know, you mentioned it. And I really do want to ask you this because I've never been able to ask this before, but like, like, I'm having a hard time finding jobs. I am, you know, feeling that my race and ethnicity may be something that is hindering people from hiring me or even like having a hard time finding those groups at work. And it was a great question for him to ask. And I think it's really important to be one of those people that is on the other side of like breaking those barriers as a young female of color. Um, and so like, I was able to answer honestly that like, it is hard. There is always racism. There is always ageism. There is always genderism. But one of the things that allowed me to have the confidence today and even allowed me to get past it and grow to the level of understanding that I have today was people. I think that um, finding your own group of people was really, really important to me. Like whether I was at the Mets or whether I was at Rutgers football or whether I was at um, like US rowing, it was always the people that helped me. Um, you know, like they, my hiring manager put me in place because they thought I would do a good job regardless of those things. And then even more so like your colleagues, your constituents, like sometimes you have your own inside jokes or sometimes you go out to dinner and you vent or sometimes like your manager tries to understand and like meet you where you are because of the diversity that you have. Um, and that was something that I let him know, like it gets much easier as you get older, not just because maybe this world is getting more um, understanding and their eyes are being open, but like you get more confident and you find the right people to have around you. Um, and that's kind of how I've like continued to battle it and like how I will continue to battle it as well. And it's very, it's very on topic that you said 
someone actually asked you that in an interview because I also wanted to know I like when you said intersectional diversity right like that's actually something you're bringing to it so in what you do especially do you think the result of your experiences has allowed you to connect more deeply with others in particular young sports people for NIL or just influencers it's actually created a stronger connection yeah I definitely think so you know I am I've been through a lot of or I've been in a lot of different places. I've interacted with a lot of different people. Actually, I'm adopted. My parents are Caucasian. I grew up in a very small Caucasian dominated town in uh, upstate New York near Syracuse. And then I went to Rutgers, a very um, diverse university with a lot of exchange students. Um, our athletic department, you know, a lot of the athletes, like we are a POC dominated um student athlete like demographic and then you know I went to front offices that were more Caucasian dominant and then again I've been like working with athletes and that may be more POC dominant so I've been able to have the opportunity to be in a lot of different spaces and being young um, and having dealt with a lot of these different uh, seats of diversity that I sit in I think it's let me be able to more directly relate um, I think, you know, as my interns or my staff, uh, or even like these athletes that we work with, like, I think that there may be something that we can find some sort of similarity, um, and break down that barrier that may be, uh, you know, these isms that we're dealing with, or even just like help connect them and be like, look, I have been there, or like, I do truly uh, have empathy for like what you're going through. And I think it's a lot easier to connect with them. You know, it's even, uh, when we have workshops, like saying like, Hey, I had practice here and then I booked it to this like, you know, organization I was in, like, you can do it. It just means that you have to do it. Or even like, you know, they're like, oh, I don't want to do like this. I'm like, look, I get it. I was a student athlete. I was there, but like, you have to do this. There is no other option if you want to be an NIL athlete. Like, I think it has definitely allowed us um, to be able to touch different groups, different students, even different staff and companies in different ways because of what myself and some of my staff has gone through. Yeah, so relatable too. Like even that instance of I am an I've been an athlete. So especially with NIL, you're like, Yeah. I know what can be done and you were maxing out, clearly. So <laughs> that's even like our uh, our programming, like it used to be online course based, so like quick snippet videos, but like very quickly after talking to athletes, after talking to athletic departments, it's like that doesn't work because like you've got class, you've got practice, you've got clubs, some have internships, like some have other things, life going on, and like that doesn't work. So we have to grab them in these unfortunately like mandatory instances or when they're already being like brought together in like um, new athlete orientation or, you know, like spring games, things like that. Like we can utilize these times when they're all together, when we have their attention to be able to educate them instead of, um, you know, slapping on something else that they may not be able to get to, or maybe just don't physically have the capability or like mental capacity to handle. Yeah. And obviously a lot is happening in IL this year is just gonna explode. And obviously the documentary, <laughs> I just wanted to ask, not necessarily what are your goals for 2023, but what are you looking forward to for 2023? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm looking for, this is a crazy year. Um, it's already started off crazy. Again, like we were on set yesterday. Um, 
it's kind of in a couple different areas. Like I think on our sports side, like we've been talking to universities, we've been talking to collectives, athlete organizations. So I'm really excited for that program to continue to grow and for us to have a really strong footing at a number of universities, um, you know, power schools, 100%, but I'm really excited for our partner with HBCU Heroes. We're going on a uh, HBCU financial literacy tour starting end of February all the way through April. Uh, where we'll be stopping at different schools virtually and in person to educate their athletes and even their students on like, what is this influencer media space? How can you get into it? How can you succeed? And then, you know, the hard pieces of like, do you know what a W-9 is? This is how you send one. This is how you keep a book of business. So like that kind of financial literacy stuff. Um, and I'm really excited to be able to bring it to underrepresented students and like underfunded organizations and schools. Um, and even more so as we continue on, like we have our influencer in residence program, I mentioned, like trying to close that gap on income stability for influencers um, and even maybe athletes. And, you know, our documentary filmed a year ago, so it'll be very interesting to see, but uh, I'm excited to see like, you know, what comes from that and what opportunities we continue to get for our um, influencers and athletes. So I'm excited. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff coming up, um, but I'm just, you know, I hope that we continue to grow. We have great partnerships with the partners that we have now and that uh, we actually continue to make a larger impact on the sports and media industry as a whole. That's so exciting. I know. Yeah, we're not even, we're in January right I'm now. I'm literally, it's 13 days. We have like the whole Q1 planned out. Like we have partnerships going with our influencers. Um, we're doing press stuff. Like we're finding out about some awards, uh, hopefully end of month. So like it's, it never ends. I don't think entrepreneurship uh, or like even democratization, it like never ends. <laughs> no, and like, that's what you're planning. You don't even know what's going to arise oh and, my gosh. and that's the other thing like you, you're right like you have no idea what's going to happen like everything so many things in this journey have like been a surprise that you just have to handle with um an understanding that you have no idea what's going to happen and sometimes crisis management is what you need to focus on yes and I love that this can be a snapshot for me for you and like this is what was happening January the start of 2023 even to listen yeah. back halfway through at the end um, I have one surprise question you're not expecting, but I ask each guest at the end, if you could have just one meal for the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, dinner, like it all has to be just one meal. What is it going to be? Hibachi. You don't even need to keep the question. Like you need to keep going. Hibachi. I love hibachi, especially fried rice. <laughs> You were ready <laughs> like, for that question. I was ready. It's people do ask me that question a lot. They're like, what do you eat? I'm like, well, I live off of coffee, but I love hibachi. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. And I love that the coffee is part of it. I try to tone yeah. down, but it's just so good. Yeah. I got an espresso machine and that was like my worst and best idea. Cause now I've got like the fancy coffees with like the different sugar-free syrups and everything. And now it's just, it's out of control. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I just want to say thank you so much. I've personally enjoyed a lot hearing your responses to things and I already knew about you and was following. So I hope for anyone listening, they'll know where to find you online. <laughs> um, she's She's got a presence and I'm just, I'm honestly so impressed and thank you for giving some of your time to share with me in my podcast. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for listening to Tall Poppy Talk. We'll see you next time. Feel free to check us out on socials, YouTube and the website. Thanks for today's guest and we'll see you all next time. Take care. Be kind.